0: Alright, so we are continuing our study of Jesus in the Old Testament, Uh, and now as we've been eight weeks into it, it's very clear, I think to me and to all of us, uh, how significant this effort is, and it started on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus talked to those disciples about the fact that all of the scriptures were about him, about him, and pretty much every book in the Bible is about Jesus, and so we're going to continue to study this. Today we're going to talk about uh, the book of Joshua. Uh, That's a transitional book in the Bible. We go from the writings of Moses, uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, and we move on uh, to the rest of the scripture. And and in that book of Joshua, it records uh, Israel's history from the death following the death of Moses to the time of the judges uh, in which judges were appointed to rule Israel. Now, Moses is denied permission to come into the promised land. And I know this seems like a, a really severe judgment. But you have to understand why. And we talked about it. Moses had been told once, strike the rock. The people needed water. And when he struck the rock, uh, water came forth. But the second time, he was told to speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Not to strike the rock. Because the rock was Christ. Uh, and Christ could only be crucified one time. Uh, and so in his anger, he struck the rock. God honored uh, the water coming out, but Moses had to pay a price. Uh, Moses had to pay a price. Uh, and the price was he could not commit to the promised land. You know, it reminds me of a, of a saying that I've said in church, uh, and it bears repeating. And that is this, you can choose your sin but you can't choose your consequences. Think about that. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences because the consequences are basically at the will of God. And so Joshua's name means uh, the Lord saves. How about that? The Lord saves. Uh, And this name anticipates the New Testament revelation that God's promise uh, to fulfill the law, to perfect the law, can only take place by Jesus Christ. We can only be saved by Jesus Christ. Now, God had been preparing Joshua uh, for years for this task. Uh, even when he was in Egypt as a young man, he served as a minister to Moses, even as a slave. Uh, and he would lead the Israelites uh, he would be the general of the, for the Israelites against some of their bitter enemies, including Amalek. He was also one of two spies that was sent into Canaan before the Jewish people went to Canaan to reconnoiter what they would face. And he was he he uh, and Caleb came back with a good report. Yes, there are giants there, but we know God will will support us. And, and so he had a, a brilliant history, a brilliant resume as he now will lead the people into the promised land. Uh, now, there is a significant Christophany uh, in Joshua, uh, in, the, in the book of Joshua. And this takes place, w- which is where they are about to battle uh, the Jericho. They are about to go against the walls of Jericho. Uh, and so they are preparing for this battle. Uh, and I would like you to turn to Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 and so here he is preparing to go to battle against this uh, walled city Um, and so let's read together what what he sees now when Joshua was near Jericho he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand and let me assure you this is no mere man Joshua went up to him and asked are you for us Or for our enemies? I love the answer. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. There it is. Commander of the army of the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is making this appearance in this world uh, to assure Joshua that he will be with him. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's ar- army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now that's, that gives you insight into the fact that, that this is Jesus. All right, No, no angel is going to say, take off your, your sandals, the place where you're standing is holy. Only Christ would say that. Uh, that where Christ stands is holy. And so here he is coming face-to-face, really, with a Christophany, this appearance of of Jesus Christ. Um, And and so Joshua takes off his sandals, continuing. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. They were in fear. Uh, No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, "'See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands.'" along with its king and its fighting men. Imagine that. I've delivered this city to you. Now, you may not realize I've delivered it to you because it looks like nothing's occurred, but I've delivered it to you. Uh, What a lesson that is for us. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest's blowing the trumpets, when you hear them sound a, tr- a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will give, go up, every man straight in, and you will win. Great passage. Now, it, it, you, you see the obedience of Joshua. You know, somebody tells you, well, look, march around the city once, just march around. And then on this, the last day, do it seven times and, and blast trumpets do all this, you know, in our humanity, we might not do it. You know what? We might say, well, hey, come on, I'm going to look like a fool. I, mean, I can't do this. But he but he honored God. He knew it was it was God that told him. And, of course, the walls come down. The walls come down. They have a great victory. And so now uh, they're positioned to move into the to the promised land. Uh, and so you see this great Christophany. Again, clearly Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Uh, Now, their very entrance uh, and crossing the Jordan River and entering into uh, Canaan is also a form of prefiguring of Christ. Uh, It is significant because Joshua becomes a type of Christ. Now, when I say a type, I don't mean he's equivalent to Christ, but it is a representation. You see, of what Christ will be, uh, because Christ will bring salvation, and and Joshua. Uh, is effectively being a person who is bringing salvation to the Jewish people through God, of course. Uh, Now, the writer of Hebrews contrasts the temporary rest uh, that Joshua provides to his people through his military victories with the permanent rest found in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 4, verse 8. What we're seeing here is we do not work to gain our salvation. It's not about our works. Uh, But our works flow from salvation. Meaning what? When you're saved, you want to serve God. Uh, And in your zeal to serve God, you recognize that you do works. You don't do works for yourself. You're not lifting yourself up, but instead you're lifting God up. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are created by Christ Jesus, uh, which he hath before ordained for good works. We are ordained for good works. That's the purpose of life. If, you ask your, if your children ask you, what's our purpose here in this world? Your purpose here is to serve God and to do the work of God. Uh, and that's how we do it. And so our works advance the kingdom of God. They don't advance you They don't advance us. They advance God. Uh, And so we see that. And so our works reach perfection only as we have come to salvation through Christ Jesus. Uh, And so as you study Joshua and you see him as a prefiguring of Christ, there's a few things to to focus in on. First of all, he is a self-described servant, uh, just like Jesus. Uh, As Joshua succeeds Moses, Christ succeeds the law. Joshua gives Israel what Moses could not give them, the veritable promised land. And Christ gives us what the law could not give us, which is salvation. Uh, In a time of conflict and defeat, both Joshua and Christ intercede for their people. They are both intercessors. Uh, Joshua parts the Jordan River so that the people can cross over, and Christ walks on water Uh, and calls others to come over to him. Uh, Joshua leads God's people into the promised land and into the rest uh, as Jesus leads his people uh, into God's promised eternal inheritance, uh, effectively into a new creation. Uh, And so you see all of this contained in Joshua. Now, Judges follows Joshua. Uh, And despite suffering some setbacks uh, because they've disobeyed God, uh, the Israelites steadily advance across the land in fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. Now, I told you that if you go back and read what God said to Abraham uh, as to the promise of the land that the Jewish people would have, uh, it's pretty clear from that description that the land that God had given them is not just the land that Israel occupies today, It includes Jordan, uh, it includes parts of Iran, it includes parts of Iraq, how about that? Uh, It is a far more significant parcel of land. Uh, And so uh, all I would say is who knows what the future holds. Certainly when Christ comes back the second time, it's quite possible and feasible that Israel will have a greater geographical footprint. Uh, But the result in in Judges, for the most part, is the continuing sin of the people, the cycle of sin, a cycle of disobedience, even as God raises uh, the Judges up to supervise the people. Now, there is no Messianic prophecy that you will find in Judges, Uh, but it does thematically, thematically point to Christ, Uh, because you see there the anticipation that Christ will be coming to us as a Savior and King of the people. Uh, Some commentators say that when Samson's mother uh, is told that her future son would lead Israel, uh, that that is a foreshadowing of God's uh, announcement to Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah. Uh, And so you see again the foreshadowing of the empowerment of a son. What the book does demonstrate, however, is God's long-suffering, endless patience with Israel. It's unbelievable when you study the Bible, isn't it? When you see what the Jewish people do and how they live and their continuing uh, refusal to submit to him, their continuing disobedience, and you would say to yourself, if you were God, how would you act? I know what I would do. I'd put my size 13 down. That's what I would do. I couldn't put up with it. I created you. I gave you life, and this is how you respond to me. You see how great our God is, how great our God is, really? Uh, You know, I preached yesterday on on the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, and and you see the continuing uh, disobedience of man. It started in the Garden of Eden, uh, where they refused to obey one simple command. Do not eat of that tree. That's it. That's it. Everything else is yours. Everything is, don't eat of that tree. Well, where do they go? Right to that tree, and they eat it. I said, you know, you want to understand the human condition? It's like this. You know, you go to a restaurant. The waiter comes out. He says, don't touch these plates. They're very hot. What's the first thing you do? (laughs) How hot is it? Oh, that is hot. It's almost like we are wired to disobey, isn't it? We're wired to disobey. And so there you see the veritable fall of man, right there, carried on, right at the Garden of Eden. There would never, you know, and I said it is a refutation of Darwinian evolution. Here it is. Because Darwin says, well, we started in the mud. And from the mud we slowly picked ourselves up and went up the food chain. No, no. We started at the top. We were at a place that was greater than anybody could ever have. We had heaven on earth. That's that's what the Garden of Eden was. They didn't have to do anything. They would live forever. Just one command, don't eat of that tree. Well, of course, they couldn't stop themselves. And so you see it, uh, and you see it repeated time after time after time. And so God is long-suffering, long-suffering, and with endless patience. Of Israel, even to this day. Do you wonder when you watch the news? uh, And I had some brothers talking about some incredible uh, news stories in which you see uh, the godlessness of humanity. You hear people doing despicable things to their children. Somebody said there was a story where a woman kept an infant in a a crib and went on a vacation for ten days. You can't define define this kind of evil. All right, But you understand this is where we are. This is the fall of humanity. This is what happens when evil is controlled in this world. Uh, And so really, uh, we see it as God gave every chance to mankind uh, to follow the law, to recognize they needed a savior, and it's in every page of the Bible. Uh, And so finally, Jesus had to come uh, to save us and give us eternal life. And so you see in Jesus, we see the perfect judge. For he brings not merely temporary deliverance from our struggles, but eternal salvation. Uh, And the book of Judges demonstrates again the need for a Messiah. That's what you see here, the need for a Messiah. Now, moving on to the book of Samuel, Samuel can be considered, again, a type of at least a picture of Christ. Because Samuel is a prophet, uh, he is a priest, and he is a judge. He's not a king, though, uh, but he does serve those three roles. And Samuel also points to Christ by sacrificing a lamb to atone uh, for the people's sin. Uh, And so what you see here, this is another reminder that without the shedding of blood, there is not the forgiveness of sin. There must be a shedding of blood to atone uh, for our sins. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Beginning with verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You can't make it any simpler than that. You understand? That's the decree of God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves uh, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know that the high priests entered a man-made sanctuary. They entered a man-made tabernacle. They cleansed themselves once a year. But Christ didn't do that. He didn't have to do that because he didn't have to cleanse himself. He was already Perfect in every way. Uh, And continuing on, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Uh, Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that is not his own. That's the point. The high priest is using blood that is not his own. He's atoning for himself. All right? Jesus doesn't atone for himself, all right? He died on the cross, all right? He died for you. It is the perfect sacrifice once and for all, and you don't repeat it. You know, the Passover had to be repeated every year. Well, there's no repetition of the crucifixion. Once and for all, once sacrifice, once and for all uh, covers us um and and it's it's important to understand this then christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world if in fact um, it had to be redone if in fact he had to be re-crucified but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment so christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Wow, what a powerful statement that is. He will appear again, all right? He will appear again, uh, and that will be at the second coming. Uh, And no man knows when that will be, but that will take place. Christ will come back. Uh, And the Antichrist will will basically be in possession of this world. Uh, Satan will have his demonic forces really in a position where they will be ready to destroy Israel. uh, And Christ will come back. And an army of hundreds of millions of us will be with him. What a glorious day that's going to be. Christ and we will follow him. And when he comes back to this world, the Bible says he will utter a word. He will utter a word. And it will be as if a sword comes out of his mouth. And instantaneously, all of the malefactors across the globe will die. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, really, what a glorious event that will be. Uh, And so I want you to understand something. As dark as the days appear to be, we win. We win at the end. We win. Make no mistake about it. No mistake at all. Uh, And so you see this. Uh, And so it's important for you to understand this, that God sits there. Jesus sits there at the right hand of God, uh, interceding for you, praying for you. One of the things that amazed me as I really studied uh, the Gospel of John, you know, I took three years to teach that entire Gospel. Uh, And one of the things that I saw there is Jesus said that he is praying for us. You mean Jesus Christ is praying for you? Yes, he's praying for you. Uh, he's interceding with you for God. Uh, and what an incredible feeling it is to know that God himself is praying for you through Jesus Christ. Uh, and so when you, when you understand this, you know what it means when, when, when the Bible tells us that Jesus holds us in his hand. God holds us in his hand. No power can take us out. No power can take you out of the hand of God. Now, another book that we need to focus on is we, again drill down on Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, is Job. Uh, And there, there, Job asks God for a mediator, an advocate who will plead his case. How about that? (laughs) Now, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job predates the five books of Moses. It's older than the five books of Moses. And so there, you know the story of Job. Uh, and, and there his man, the Bible tells us he was a godly man, one of the most righteous men in the world, and Satan saw that, and Satan says to God, well, the only reason he's good is because you bless him. Take those blessings away, and you'll, he'll curse you. He'll curse you, which, again, you see, uh, one of the titles of Satan is the deceiver of the brethren. How about that? The deceiver, deceiver of the brethren. Well, Job is amazing. Take a look at Job chapter 9 uh, because I want you to focus in again in this book about the coming of Christ and and how important it is that you, you drill down on this. This is Job chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. I still dread, and he's speaking to God now, I still dread uh, all my sufferings, for I know you will not hold me innocent. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? Can you imagine talking to God like this? Even if I washed myself with soap and my hands with washing soda, you would plunge me into a slime pit so that even my clothes would detest me. This guy's having a bad day. He is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hands upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. He's looking for a mediator. How about that? He's looking for a mediator, someone to speak to God on his behalf. Well, guess what? That's who Jesus is. So here you have the oldest book of the Bible uh, in which you see man, Job, recognizing the fact that he needed a mediator. Uh, And so why would an all-powerful, all-knowing God uh, be moved by a mediator on Job's behalf? Why go through such futile motions when the outcome is surely already determined? Uh, uh, Why would God allow someone to advocate against his own position? Uh, Look, it's not far-fetched. This is what God does with Jesus Christ. He knows you needed a Savior. He knows that you're fallen. He knows that you have no way to come into eternal life uh, without Christ. And so Jesus is, in fact, the consummate mediator. Uh, who bridges the gap you see once and for all between our wretched sinfulness and god 's perfect justice? One of the things that you learn uh, from from the Old Testament is the holiness of God over and over and over the holiness of God, you see it in the law, you see it in, in, in the uh, sacrifices, you see it on the day of atonement, you see it in Leviticus sixteen We never really come to a proper understanding of how truly holy is God. His holiness is perfect in every way, and that's why we need a mediator. We cannot speak to God. We cannot intervene with God unless Jesus Christ is with us. Uh, That's how holy God is. Uh, And so here he is, the one who, having lived a sinless life uh, as a human being and as God both, reconciles God's perfect love with humanity uh, by taking our sins upon himself on the, at the cross. What a picture uh, of God uh, and Jesus Christ. You know, uh, we're, in our church, we're going to do communion this Sunday. Uh, and it's, it's critical to understand what is taking place at communion. Uh, because you know what happens to a lot of us? We do communion so often it becomes rote. Rope. It's not rope. It's not rope. It's not rope. Uh, uh, And one of the reasons why in our church we we take about six weeks between communion is I want people to reflect on what's taking place uh, at communion. Effectively, it is the representation of the Passover. It is what God did for the Jewish people in Passover. It is the replication of the Passover lamb. The sacrifice of the, perf- of the perfect lamb uh, that was put, the blood was put on the lintels of the door. And one of the things that you learn there is that blood must be applied. You understand what I'm saying? It's not merely good enough that you participate in the sacrifice. It's not good enough to say, I believe in this sacrifice. No, you had to take the blood and you had to apply the blood above the door. Because without the application of the blood, God does not see you as a part of his kingdom. You understand? This is a critical thing to understand. And that's why Jesus celebrated the very last Passover. Now, I know when I say this, some people, Jewish people, get get upset with me uh, and and they'll say to me, well, how can you say that? Uh, How can you say that? Well, all I would say is, Uh, It's the last celebration of a divinely inspired event. In other words, once Jesus gave his body on the cross, died on the cross as the once and for all perfect sacrifice for us, no amount of animal sacrifice would ever be the same. Amen? You understand this? This is a key thing to understand. Now, you can celebrate the Passover if you're a Messianic Jew or a cultural Jew. We recognize that. It has great historical significance going back to the days of Egypt and the Exodus. But as a divinely inspired event, once Christ died on the cross and died for you and bled for you, there would no longer be the juxtaposition of animal sacrifice to save humanity—it would not be—and uh, that's important. And and really, realistically, if you say to your Jewish friends, "How do you celebrate the Passover? Do you celebrate it the way the Bible tells you?" <sighs> They'll look at you like you got an eyeball in your forehead. Oh, yeah. well, we don't—we can't go to the temple. Well, that's out. Well, we don't do animal sacrifice. That's out. So what are you doing? in accord with God's will that's telling you that this is a real a, a sacrificial event well no nothing nothing. and so uh, it's important for you to understand this is what God is doing for you when you take communion when you're taking communion and, and Jesus said this is my body this is my body broken for you that's what he's saying this is the Passover lamb the once and for all perfect lamb it's my body It's broken for you. I broke it on the cross for you. That's why you can come into eternity, because of what I've done for you. This is my blood shed for you in the same way shed for you. Uh, And you recognize, oh, God, how can you ever go to communion and not be moved? Not be moved with what God has done for you, recognizing the enormity of the sacrifice. Uh, And so here it is. God provides this perfect mediator once and for all. Jesus Christ, what a, what a powerful picture of what God has done for us. Uh, and so no, no book, other book in the Bible, uh, other than Job anticipates our need for the perfect mediator more than Job does. Uh, and so what we see here is that man must come not just to know about God, but to know God. You understand? It's not that you know about God, You're coming here, and part of what I'm doing is teaching you about God, but the real lesson is not to know about God. It's to know God. To know God. To take the blood and apply the blood. To become conformed fully to the will of God. To attach yourself to his body. Oh, God, help us, Father, to become the kind of men that you want us to be. To attach ourselves to the body of Christ. Jesus himself... Uh, is the final and perfect answer once and for all to the question of human suffering and evil in the world. You got that? The world is full of suffering and evil, and Jesus is the answer. You understand? Jesus is the answer. Until you come to understand that, come to understand that that's what God has provided, the veritable life preserver, uh, and then you, don't, then you really come to understand our worldview about God. Uh, Jesus, God's son, Jesus Christ, suffered death on our behalf in order to conquer death for us and grant us eternal life. That's exactly what he did. None of that would have been possible but for the sacrifice on the cross. And when you take communion, that event uh, goes back and examines what Jesus did that day. Uh, the the sacrifice that he did that day. And so the book of Job, you see, demonstrates that suffering does not separate us from God. I want you to understand that. The fact that you suffer does not mean that you're separated from God. In fact, uh, it is through the very process of suffering that Job draws closer to God. Can you imagine that? He drew closer to God as he suffered in so many ways. And he came to know God because before that he didn't truly know God. Yeah, he knew about God, but he didn't truly know God. Uh, and so uh, we really have to understand this, and this becomes the obvious parallel to Christ uh, in our own lives, who in his suffering, who in his suffering, uh, though temporarily separated from the Father, ultimately draws closer to him. And you know that, that in the cross there came uh, a point where Jesus became the ultimate sin-bearer of all time. All the sins of the world from the beginning of time to the end of time were poured on him. And it was hideous. And God himself, who had been with him the whole way, could no longer stand to look on Christ. And so the connection between Jesus and God was cut My Lord, my Lord, why hast thou abandoned me? Do you understand why why those words were uttered? Do you understand the the significance of what takes place on the cross, where he becomes the ultimate sin-bearer once and for all? And then yet, after he died uh, in perfection, he now sits at the right hand of God. Uh, And so it's important to understand this. Uh, And so... It's significant that Job in his conversations with his friends uh, expresses his confidence in his Redeemer. What? Yeah, the oldest book of the Bible. Turn, if you would, to Job 19, verse 25. What a powerful verse this is. This is one of those verses that you can put on your refrigerator which really, here it is, written before the book of Moses. Thousands of years before Christ will come to this world. Uh, And another powerful explanation of the fact that Jesus has invested every page of the Bible. For it says there, Job 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, who I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Is that powerful? My Redeemer lives, and I know I will see my Redeemer in every way, in recognition of the fact that Jesus would come. He would be our Redeemer. Uh, and this is widely, widely considered by theologians as a messianic prophecy. Without having any specific knowledge of Jesus Christ, Job is longing for a champion in his, let's call it, a complaint against God, all right? Uh, the paramount fulfillment Uh, Of Job's need for a mediator and legal advocate has now been found in the personage of Jesus Christ. He is your mediator, he is your advocate. He is now praying for you at the right hand of God. Uh, Job makes an incredible statement in Job 33, verse 23. He says, I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. Yes, you have, Job. Yes, you have. Uh, Christ gave his life for a ransom for many. Uh, And so for the Christian, Christ is the gracious mediator uh, who ransoms the believer's soul from eternal death. Uh, And so what an incredible uh, uh, vision that is for us. Uh, And so in contemplating the reasons for his suffering, Job poses several significant questions all of which are answered in the personage of Jesus Christ. Job asks, quote, and this is found in Job 14, verse 4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? How's that? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unthing? And the Bible tells us there's only one that can do that. Only Jesus Christ Apart from Christ, you can never purify yourselves because God is holy, ultimately perfectly holy, uh, and we are full of sin. We can never be part of God unless we attach ourselves to the body of Christ. Uh, And so this becomes an important knowledge for us. Uh, Job also asks, again, this is incredible when you go back and think about it. Job asks again in Job 14, verse 14, He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? How about that? If a man dies, shall he live again? The answer is yes, if he has lived with Christ. Yes, if he has accepted Christ. And so without Christ, uh, the answer is no, he cannot live again, although where he will be will be removed forever from God. All right, In Satan, in hell, that's where he will live. But with Christ, you will live forever in eternity. Let's make it impactful on our life today. Not just to know about God, but to know God. To know him, to experience him, to adopt him, to put him completely in our life to make this vow to God that every aspect of my life is yours. I will submit to you in every way. When I leave this place today, Lord, I ask you to empower me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the courage to speak to people who need to hear about you. Help me, God. I know I'm not a preacher, but with your will, Lord, I know that you will direct my path. I will speak to people who need to hear about you and empower me to do that. Help me, Father, to recognize my sins. Help me, Lord, to recognize that I'm a sinner, but only through you, only through you have you perfected me. And help me to recognize what you did for me at the cross. Help me to recognize that when I take communion, what I'm responsible for, that I'm responsible for what you did for me, and that I adopt myself to you in every way. Men, this is the kind of life you need to live. This is the kind of responsibility you have to live. I encourage you to leave here today Lift it up in a more powerful way to adopt these, these issues, to become closer to God, to know God. Shall a man live after he dies? Yes. 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 Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us today, for the men who have come and given their hearts to you, Lord. I pray that we may know you, Father, in a more profound way as you've opened up scripture to us. Let us recognize that you pray for us at the right hand of God and are the mediator and intercessor in every way. And Lord, let us be more mindful every time we take communion to recognize the enormity of the sacrifice that you gave us, Father. Lord, I pray for our men. I pray that you draw them closer to the cross, I pray that you make them representatives in their family, representatives to a community, representatives to a lost world, that they have the courage to speak about you, Father, in every way. Protect us. Bring us back next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.